the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now, back to Lifeline. We are back at the time, 620 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Two lines open, one 329 I'm enjoying the conversation. I really wish I had more time with Nelson to kind of work through what I have seen for a long time occurs when we're dealing with debates and we're trying to define terms and define movements and define ideologies. And one of the tactics that's going on on the part of the left is to deny that the fundamental framework for what's taking place is Marxist. Now, that's ludicrous when, in fact, the founders of the Black Lives Movement are actually Marxists. And many of them who are part of the movement are Marxist sympathizers. Many of your professors in your universities and in your colleges are avowed Marxists. And many of them have been speaking for decades about moving more towards a socialist slash communist model of governance because they hate democracy or they hate capitalism. They hate the idea that we can have a free world where free people can operate with free ideas and they mostly hate. Listen, this is how you can know you're dealing with a lot of uh, people that have deeply committed Marxist uh, sympathizing uh, ideas and notions. And largely it's because they're godless. They have absolutely no toleration for a God type world, a God type universe, a God type viewpoint. They don't want it like Marx didn't want it. Even uh, a, a Gramsci, he's a socialist. You, you, you know, Antonio Gramsci, he comes out of the movement of the Marxist system and realized that Marx was his movement was too militant. And so he began the Frankfurt School, where they began to be much more strategic in implementation into the educational system and and start to inseminate the doctrine of Marxism on a soft Marxist level uh, in the education system. First, get God out. Then, Then challenge the authoritarian framework by making all authority bad. And then uh, if you will, pose a new world order that basically makes everything egalitarian. That is exactly where we are today. Only it's going to a whole nother level by redefining, reframing, re-imaging, uh, if you will, uh, a kind of new social construction that basically looks like the LGBTQ plus uh, 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 a world of intersectionality that basically is going to be forced upon Americans and the world at large. Now, why impose that kind of structure uh, as a way going forward? Here's the reason why. If you implement an LGBTQIA, etc. system, then you automatically set that system up over against a biblical worldview. That is Marxism in its advance. 
if you frame the new reality, this is what we call the new normal. We've been watching it on television, sitcoms, movies. It is permeating education at the highest levels, coming all the way down to the schools. It is the new normal as an antithesis over against the old normal, which is now defined as the heteronormative white racist system, which has to go. Anybody thinking knows what I'm talking about. And this is not about white men. This is about the God of the Bible. But what makes this so virulently uh, uh, impactful in terms of the uh, tensions that people are, are now finding themselves having to deal with is because God is associated with the hierarchical structure of male patriarchy. God is associated with the systems of modern thinking, of scientific thinking, of rational, logical thinking that basically frame the world that we're in now. So to tear down a heteronormative society of patriarchal dominance is to actually have to go against the Bible. So now those of you who call yourself Christians and you are consistently Christian through and through, Marxism directly impacts you. And you know this is true. You know it on your jobs. You know it in the schools. You know it at the office. You know it at work. So this idea that we're not dealing with Marxism is absolutely, utterly absurd. Does it have multiple tentacles? Does it have a smiling face? Of course, Black Lives Matter. Does it have a kind of Maoist uh, uh, Red Guard unit of, of, of policing thought and policing narratives? Of course, that's the agenda in the educational system. Does it have the militant element that's willing to challenge the authority structures of our police system, even our military? Of course, that's the element of Antifa and many others that are co-joined to that system. Anyone that does a little homework can see this as it is. When you want to go around saying this is not communism, you are utterly, utterly denying the reality of these things as have been proven throughout history. They're here today. Let me go to line number one and talk with James from the Bay. James, are you there? Yes, sir, my master. How you doing, sir? I I'm great, brother. What's going on with you? Well, just, you know, just trying to sift through it all. I mean, it's, I mean, it, it's so much out there, and you have to be, you know, rooted and grounded. Uh, well, for one thing, we're operating, uh, you know, uh, behind the eight ball in the sense that, like you said, first of all, you have to be able to study. First of all, you have to be able to just stop and think. Like you said weeks ago. You know, we're just inundated with propaganda everywhere we go. So yep, we're in a yep. society now where you don't, you're not almost say you're not allowed. You're not allowed to to think. You yep. just, it's almost like they just want you to react. You don't want yep. to take time to respond, like Brother Jonathan Isaac did. You know, even yep. when y'all know, I don't know if you caught that where the reporter tried to change the narrative, but like, what does religion have to do with? It? Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's like no, you have to. You have to establish a narrative and you have to stick to it uh, no matter what. You have to be able to support it. And nowadays, yep. you, you know, people don't do it. They just want to think what they think and they're really reacting. They have Most of the people that are caught up in these movements, they haven't taken time to think a situation through. Because if you get them, if you sit down with them and you brought up a, a good point about our individualism is being, is being lost. I mean, there's time for us to be 
as a body, but sometimes within the body, we're individual. And, and most of the time, that's what it's going to take to be able to sit down with an individual to be able to talk with them away from, you know, the fracas and the fray, to be able to sit down, to have them think a situation through. And generally, if nothing else, then we will begin to think. If, if, if they're not being, if, if the emotional strings are not being pulled. Agreed. Here's, here's the thing. If you, you just brought it up, media. I mean, this thing started off in education. It's gone, I mean, it's into the schools, it's in the government, it's in politics, it's everywhere. I mean, yep. I remember being in a political science class where they were talking about Marxism. And I was like, that was so far, you know, over my head. I guess I just wasn't mature enough to take it all in. But now as I think back, yeah, I, you, know, I, you know, I see it. I'm beginning to see it more and more clearly. This is what, this is what the outcome was. I was just yep. studying it to find out what it was. But now, you know, some 40 years later, you know, seeing what it is, you know, it's a direct talk. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a strategic adversarial attack yes. on on us whereas believers on on a conservative thinker on all levels because yep. I try to explain to people if you don't watch out this is all about going against God whatever God has ordained this system is against it on all levels you, yes. you, you can't uh, you can't deny it even like the, the, uh, the description you gave a couple of weeks ago about the brother who questioned the Black Lives Black Live Matter Live Matters movement uh, when 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 they started off with George Floyd and ended up with abortion. Sure. I, ever, uh, I don't know his name. I don't know how you look that up on YouTube, but I've been using that and uh, using that as a uh, you know an example uh, for people to you know to try to wake up, uh, you know, wake up because. You know, we, even in the church, and that's the, that's the scary part, even in the, third, in the church, how can you call your, well, you, obviously we're in a uh, society now, we can call yourself whatever you want to call yourself, but to call yourself a Christian and have all these views that are contrary to the gospel. But I guess that just goes, speaks to the, the lack of teaching, the lack of sound doctrine that uh, is coming across the pulpits today. So now let me let me wrap up what you're saying in a, in a term to kind of uh, clarify what's really taking place. Um, and, and you know, if, you, if you're following me in my, my weekly teachings, I deal with this extensively at Grace. The term, uh, Brother James, is postmodern thinking. Yes, postmodern thinking. Right. So yeah. now postmodernism is a, an abandonment of logic. It's an abandonment of objective reality. It's abandonment of the normative, scientific, logical, rationalistic worldview that God gave us by which we could look at our universe through the eyes of truth and recognize that God made the universe and everything in it with the orderliness of it and with the complexity of it by which when we recognize the way God created the universe, we live in conformity to it. And therefore, whenever we walk in the harmony of reality according to God, and that's what truth is, reality according to God, God blesses us. Whenever we deny walking in reality according to God, we are walking in a lie. Postmodernism is a lie. It's the framework of a world based upon mankind taking his own thoughts, his own ideas, his own drives, 
and reshaping the narrative to fit his own agenda. This postmodernist thinking has been around for 60, 70, 80 years or longer, but it is the reason why people don't think right today. They don't know how to reason through arguments. They don't know how to detect falsehoods or contradictions. They don't know how to see uh, when someone is saying something that is merely an assertion versus what is actually factual. Because if you look up postmodernism, it is now the foundation upon which everyone has their own truth. Everyone has their own relative subjective interpretation of life, and therefore no one can challenge you. Listen carefully to me before I let you go. If you're operating out of the premise, which most of these people are, particularly all the way up in the highest levels <clears throat> of, of uh, uh, academia, if you're operating out of a postmodern premise, if your truth is your truth, and, and James, you've been hearing me talk about this forever. If your mm -hmm. truth is your truth, and my truth is my truth, but your <laughs> truth and my truth don't match up, one of us is not telling the truth. That's right. Now, follow, now follow the logic. Now, we can both mm -hmm. be wrong, but we can't right. both be right. That's right. Now, this is called the law of non-contradiction. It is a fundamental principle in detecting error. And when a person advocates a postmodern world where they say, don't call me a man, call me a woman. And I go, mm. I have to call you a man because that's what you are biologically. That's what you are genetically. That's what you are ontologically. That's what you are biblically. That's what you are theologically. That's what you are rationally and observably. That's what you are in your DNA. That's what you are in your chromosome. That's what you are in the essence of who you are as God made you. Now, when you punish me for actually telling the truth, you are imposing upon me your lie as if it is the truth. And if I were to buy into a postmodern framework of thinking, I would have to say, okay, that's truth for you. And that's exactly what they are pressing in the schools, pressing in the colleges, pressing in the media. And when a man or a woman does not have the truth and the truth as it is in God's word, as it is in Jesus, is the reality of all things. When you don't have the word of God in you with that level of conviction, you're going to be mowed over by the multitude telling you that what they are experiencing or affirming or stating is the truth when it is a bold faced lie. But when you and I don't have the truth in our hearts, when the truth hasn't gripped us, when it's not our identity, then we cannot stand up over against that lie to challenge it for what it is. And this is the big battle that's going on. And here's the other problem. And I'll have to let you go because I got to take a break. In our churches, we have been playing games with the word of God. People have not been drinking the word of God in seriously. They have not committed their soul to knowing what it says, believing what it says, standing on what it says as their identity. And thus they have not been sanctified. Remember Jesus <clears throat> prayed in John 17, 17, Father, sanctify them in thy truth. Thy word is true. Now, until the word of God becomes part of your DNA, my DNA, my thinking, your thinking, until it becomes one with us and one with it, something else can come along and take you off your feet and sweep you into its movement. And you won't even know you have abandoned the word of God. This is where a lot of people come to church and they sing, Lord, Lord, but they absolutely do not do what Jesus said because Jesus said, my word does not abide 
in you. This is what he said to the rulers, and this is where we are today. Listen, I got to take a hard break, but really work through that principle because this is where you're going to see the difference between the true believer and the false believer. The false believer does not have the word of God as his thesis, as his foundation, as his epistemology, as his worldview. He's trapped by the lie of the culture. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. Good to have you back with us as we get ready to wind our way down to the latter part of our program. James, thank you for calling in. It's good to hear from you and your lovely wife. She was in the background giving you the amens and uh, so glad we could expand on that topic. Uh, I'd love to just do more of that because I really do understand that at the ground level, excuse me, of our conversation about all this is the ignorance of people in terms of what you said, James, was a strategic, uh, surreptitious, insidious work that's been going on for 40 years in our public educational system. And that's exactly what John Dewey wanted. John Dewey wanted God out of education. And look at what we got. Not only is God out, but what's in now is Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 31. When they knew God, they glorified him not as God, but became vain in their imagination and their foolish hearts were darkened. That's called postmodern thinking. It's a blind, irrational, demonically obscuring mindset that's emotionally driven and it's arbitrary. It's not rooted in science. It's not rooted in logic. It's not rooted in theology. It's not rooted in objective reality. It's playing a game of imagination, re-imaging And the only kind of material that fallen mankind can work with is the material of Satan's mind. What do I mean by that? It would be one thing if we said we're going to throw off the biblical model that we are created in the Imago Dei, that we're created in the image of God, that we all have a spark of divinity in us, that we all can operate out of axioms of truth that we all know because it's intuitive to us. That still puts us in the realm of what we would call a coherent Uh, truth reality that we all know. We all know certain fundamentals morally and ethically. Why? Because God placed it in us. Under a postmodern framework, there is no morality. Under a postmodern framework, there are no ethics. There are no universal right and wrongs. That's hell. That's called hell. And that's why the the LGBTQAIL community has reformed itself. But what they don't know is they simply have reformed themselves in the image of the reprobate creature of Romans chapter 1, verses 21 all the way through 28. Because they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. See, that's abandoning the knowledge of God from which we get reality. God gave them over to a reprobate mind. So, and I've been teaching our saints this at Grace. When you meet somebody who is reprobate in their mind, they can hear what you're saying, but they cannot believe it. They can hear what you're saying because you can win an argument with people if they don't know how to simply cancel out the debate by kind of an emotional outrage or going down rabbit holes. This is often what we find with people who are not willing to be um civil in discourse. They will run down rabbit holes. What about this? What about that? What about this? And then they get emotional and then they get irrational and then they get argumentative. They don't want to actually debate because a debate will expose them for being incoherent and irrational in their assertions and assumptions. 
But that's exactly what postmodernism is. It is the breeding ground for rebellion. Because they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, he gave them over to a reprobate mind that they should do those things that are inconvenient. And then it gives you the whole list of malleable uh, attributes of sinful tendencies that you and I know are biblically wrong. And so when our kids go to school and they are taught the equity doctrine of inclusiveness and diversity, they're being taught to be prejudiced and biased against the word of God. They're being taught to go home and say, Mom, why does the Bible say that fornication is a sin? Or why does the Bible say that homosexuality is a sin? Or why does the Bible say that a man cannot love another man and be intimate with another man? It seems like that's a bigotry against people who love and care for each other. This has been the underlying conflict for decades now, and it's rising to the surface. And Black Lives Matter explicitly under its Marxist framework wants to bring that kind of body politic into our world. You guys know I'm telling the truth. I don't even need to be as passionate as I am about it. You know I'm telling the truth. And then you're going to get some, some, I don't even want to be offensive with the terminology, people coming along and telling me we're not dealing with Marxist, communistic, godless, uh, 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 oppressor, or oppressed framework of, of argumentation. It is completely Marxist. Read Marx's La Capitale. And he'll tell you how much he hates God, how much he hates the family, how much he hates authority. Only what he won't tell you is, he wants to be God. He wants to be the authority. And when you look at the movement, this is the intrinsic, self-contradicting nature of the movement. Watch this, you guys. Please hear me. The movement is saying, let's tear down authority. Let's tear down the police structure. Let's tear down the government. Let's tear it all down. But they're not telling you how they want to build it back up. They're not telling you who should be in control. They're telling you we want to level the playing field and create equity. But they're not telling you who's going to be in control. Logic would tell me that if the people that are in power are intrinsically and automatically wicked. Now, the Bible doesn't say that. And I'm not saying it. This is what they're saying. Every power structure is wicked. Okay. When they tear it down. And they themselves occupy those positions. What have they become? They have become wicked. They have become privileged. They have become the powerful that they are telling everybody that they should tear down. They should oppose. They should reject. They should destroy. See, if Marxism was consistent, he might have an argument for tearing down wicked, oppressive systems. But the idea of building another one is completely contradictory of his argument. Why? Because the same people tearing them down have the same seeds of wicked, evil, malicious, selfish, narcissistic, sociopathic, destructive tendencies of the people that they want to tear down. And then ignorant Christians think that somehow that's a better system. The Bible's so very clear, isn't it? You shall not follow a multitude to do evil. Exodus 23, 1 and 2. Let me go to line number two and talk with Dave from Oakland. Dave, are you there? 
Hey, Pastor Jesse, how's it going? I'm good, man. I got about three, four minutes with you. What's going on? Uh, no, I was, uh, um, you know, I was always, uh, I've been following you for 10 years, and I know that you always try to see things uh, through a biblical worldview. And yeah. so uh last couple of things that you've been talking about kind of been hard for me to uh, understand. So sure. I had three things I basically wanted to ask you, and I, I try to make them quick. Um you said that uh, uh, in your message, you said that uh, all lives matter. And I agree with that statement with the caveat that if all lives matter, that those black lives are included in that statement, all lives matter. And I think you mentioned that. And I say that if, uh, if, that, if that will be true, then those people that uh, say all lives matter shouldn't have an uh, issue with uh, speaking out on injustices. That's the uh, first thing. The second thing is, uh, I know that you've been very vocal about reparations and, uh, against re- reparations, and with the caveat being that um, Christ is going to repair or restore everything that we lost on on earth, right in heaven. He's going to restore it, so we shouldn't seek after things in the now because you know our our eternal home is heaven. So my my question to that is, so should the people that have gotten reparations, like the Native Americans and the Japanese and uh, the Mexicans on, like, uh, um, uh, the, the Mexican-American War, should, should um, they return those reparations? Should they give up the land that they got? Should they uh, sacrifice those things that they were given because we shouldn't seek it? Things as Christians, and then the third thing was um, uh, you've been also very vocal about the protesting, uh, and uh, you know black people specifically, uh, but not just black people, but, but mostly the people protesting against like pol- uh, police brutality and all those kind of things that they shouldn't they shouldn't do those things because uh, we're not to seek binges and we're not, you know, turn up cheek and, and those kind of things. Um, but at the same time, there's a lot of Christians who uh, are in law enforcement, who are in military, who fight to protect our rights as Americans and fight in wars and do all those things where it also says about we're not supposed to kill, we're not, thou shalt not kill. So how do we justify those things? Okay, so what I, what I think I want to do with what you're saying is because all three of them are classic arguments by the left, classic arguments by <clears throat> by the people who are wanting to uh, steer clear of any kind of critical analysis of what they're doing. And in uh, seven minutes, I can't really fully do it, Dave, but I'm going to say it like this. The way you framed it is, is largely the uh, way in which the left would frame it. And, and it would be somewhat skewed from the uh, proper framing that anyone that thinks these things through, particularly from a biblical standpoint, would frame it. So let's go back um, briefly to the uh, first one. The first one would be All Lives Matter, right? Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, without yeah. going in depth, 
when I would argue that all lives matter, what I would say is that when you have people out there doing the Black Lives Matter stuff and they only want to take up a political position of opposing police officers, that they have to do it on a legitimate premise that there is legitimately systemic racist police uh, brutality taking place across the board that would require statistics. It would require healthy, open debate and discussion between not only uh, citizens who are pro and con, that is to say, like, let's say you believed in the fact that everywhere you look, uh, white uh, cops are, are, are killing black men. And like, that's the biggest problem that we need to deal with. And let's say I say I don't agree with you on that day. I don't necessarily agree that the big problem is the uh, killing of white a white uh, black men by white cops and we can sit down and debate it look at the statistics and i can say while i agree that no uh, citizen should be killed or abused or mistreated by cops and we could use reforms across the board in those particular areas i'm not going to broad brush and overgeneralize and make a statement about all police officers when it's statistically and factually not true that's bearing false witness that's the first thing. So we want to be able to parse a generalized statement, which is one of the tactics of the, of the Marxist movement. Generalize it all as bad. Generalize it all as bad. That way you can inflame it and make it large and you don't have to reason through it. All you have to do is mow it down. We need police officers. We would want to hear from them. We don't want to just tear it down, defund them. We want to hear from them. That's the first one. The second one is reparations. We got to do the same thing about that. Uh, uh, Mr. Coates, Tahishi Coates, he's been advocating that for that for long for the longest. But if you listen to healthy intellectuals debate him on his uh, formula for reparations, they shred him to pieces in terms of the process by which he wants to imp implement reparations basically is an injustice that's done to people who have to pay for those reparations. And, and, and in addition to that, under that particular category, the, uh, the sighting of our Mexican brothers or the sighting of our Japanese brothers or the sighting of our um, uh, Native American brothers in terms of the reparations that they receive um, are not equivalent arguments to um, <clears throat> the reparations issue of African-Americans on the quantitative level. And anyone would be able to uh, affirm that that would say that the atrocities that have been committed to uh, African-Americans who are part of the slave <clears throat> trade industry all the way from 1619 up to the present, uh, that bears such a deep and profound conversation about how to do that justly that the last thing we would want to do, and I, I think if you're a believer, you wouldn't want to do this. You wouldn't want to take money out of somebody's pocket for whom they are really not guilty of the crime of uh, systemic racism leading back to slavery. You wouldn't want to do that, would you? Well, um, I wouldn't want to do that, but the government is who you were taking the money from. No, 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 that won't happen. So I'm, I'm loving the way you're stating that. This is what I want to explain. So I have written out, and I'm working through this, Brother Dave, I've written out 10 things that makes this social injustice movement both uh, criminal and unjust. And one of them is the notion that you can take money from the government. Please understand this, and Thomas Sowell made this explicitly clear. The government has no money. See, and this is where we don't even know basic civics or political science. The government that has no money, Dave, the money well, is generated by the people. I, I would disagree, Pastor Jesse. I mean, we but Where do they have money at? 
they just printed up 12, uh, was it 12 trillion dollars for the so stimulus? So stay with me, stay with me. I want you to think to... this one through because I only got two minutes. Stay with me on okay. that one. I want you to think it through. You're saying you disagree. Yeah. And I'm saying there is no intrinsic self-generating income for government. Government did not government did not create any money. They printed up paper debt. They printed up right. paper debt like they've been doing. Guess who has to pay that debt, Dave? Well, your your children, up. your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. Every time the government spends a nickel it comes out of the coffers of the working class in America. <clears throat> Every time they talk about we're going to give you this or give you that, they're never giving you anything out of their own pocket. It's always coming out of the pocket of the American citizen. This is why I've talked about it in, in, in my discussion around reparations. If somebody comes to me and say, I'm going to give you a million five hundred dollars as part of the reparations. I'm asking, where did you get it from? Because don't tell me you got it from a government that does not have the ability to make money, generate money of itself. Don't tell me you're taking it from big corporations because big corporations are going to get that money back from the common citizen on the street. They're going to get it back by taxation, increasing of the prices of their goods and services, inflation. It ends up being that we will pay ourselves. Now, I want you to work through that one so we can talk about it next week. I love what you're doing. and I'm glad you're talking to me about this day because I really want us to wake up to the reality of the arguments. And then the can final one, one more about protests. And I want you to work it through. Then we can come back because I only got a minute left. The final one on the protesting. Don't have any problem with protesting. Don't have any problem with people getting out in the streets and, and talking and things like that. I, that's absolutely uh, legitimate. It's part of um, our constitutional rights. It's part of our freedom to do that. But as a believer, I'm asking the Christian, really, what did Jesus tell you to do? What did Christ tell you to do? Did he tell you to go out into all the world and protest? The vast majority of those people that you're going to be out there with are desperately lost. They're desperately lost. And, and, and you're going to be clamoring with them uh, on the knocking down or the tearing down of something while they're perishing right around you. Is that the witness we want to give to them? That we're with you in wanting to tear down this structure because we want to make a better world. But that person, every time they breathe, they are breathing a sinful breath and are about to perish under the wrath of God. Okay, you can protest. But remember now, remember now, as a child of God, your job is to share the gospel. And that particular community out there does not want to hear from your God. Dave, let's take this up next Monday. These are very good topics. Let's continue to work these through. Bless you, my young brother, and bless all of you out there. Remember, keep your eyes on Christ and don't sell out the gospel for materialism.